I've changed my mind a little bit and say, you know what, we, we need to have an offense as well. And it, it can't be a passive offense. We're experiencing the most disruptive time in the history of healthcare. With this podcast, I'm going to connect you with industry and CRNA thought leaders to help you thrive in these unprecedented times. I'm your host, Randy Moore, CEO of the AANA, and this is Moving the Needle. Today, we have Dr. Brent Dunworth joining us. Uh, we're going to talk about a variety of different, really interesting topics. We're going to talk about A, the CRNA job market, what's he seen, uh, and his predictions relative to the future. We're going to talk about how to make yourself indispensable as a clinician and a leader and what everyday leadership looks like. Dr. Brent Dunworth has a Bachelor of Science, a Master of Science, and a Doctor of Nursing Practice from the University of Pittsburgh. They got a lot of money from him and an MBA from Waynesburg University. Brent is a Director of Advanced Practice, Chief CRNA, and Assistant Professor at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. Brent has received numerous awards, among them the Agatha Hodgkins Award for Outstanding Nurse Anesthesia Student, the Pennsylvania Association of Nurse Anesthetists Didactic Instructor of the Year, the University of Pittsburgh School of Nursing's Outstanding Young Alumnus Award, and the Dr. Nevin Downs Leadership Award. Dr. Dunworth is a certified nurse executive and has lectured nationally on a variety of topics in nurse anesthesia and maintains a clinical practice at Vanderbilt. Okay, Brent, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for carving some time out and, and joining us on Moving the Needle. Absolutely, Randy. Thank you for the uh, invitation. I, I've had the pleasure to get to know you uh, better over the, over the last few years, and I, I'm exceedingly impressed with you, your your career, uh, the work that you've been doing down there in Vanderbilt, and, and before that in Pittsburgh, uh, and your impact on the profession. And, and I, I'm really excited about picking your brain uh, as someone who is in the business of interviewing and employing nurse anesthetists. I think you have a pretty good idea of what's going out, uh, what's going on out there in the job market. So, can you give us what are you seeing? You know, at, at Vanderbilt, what are you hearing uh, from your colleagues and other facilities around what the workforce supply demands appears to be like for nurse anesthetists right now? Well, I think it's a great time to be a nurse anesthetist, and um, I would probably have said that at, at any time across the continuum of my career. But uh, we've both, right, have seen cycles um, of the job market, both wide open and, and a little bit tight um, at different times. But certainly, uh, this is a time when everyone is is clawing to find CRNAs, and in, including us. And we're we're doing really well with that. Uh, for a number of different reasons, and we can get into that perhaps later. But I think that, you know, what I observe in the country is just an, an increase in demand for CRNAs and, and what we do and um, the particular sort of tools that we bring to the table um, to enhance access and, and to serve the growth of the country. Everybody is, is building ambulatory centers and GI centers and more hospital beds as our population ages and lives longer. And so this isn't going to go away soon. And we are um, really, you know, I think ready uh, to meet the demand. And, and many hospitals are, are saying, gosh, we, we've got CRNAs here now and we need more and we love them. Um, so it puts us in a great position, I think, professionally. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. You, you hit on something that I may, probably is worth just exploring a little bit more, which is uh, 
I think you referenced, you know, the aging population and the impact of the baby boomers, right? Who are not only retiring, but many of them are retiring out of the healthcare workforce, right? And and that's the same thing for nurse anesthetists and anesthesiologists. So it's almost a double whammy here, meaning that, you know, we have uh, nurse anesthetists retiring, uh, but also we're having an increase in, in, well, I think have a significant increase in the consumption of healthcare as the baby boomers get into the age where they need a lot of colonoscopies and, 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 new, and new replacements and, and cataract surgery and all of that. And I have to wonder, as you think about it from a long-term workforce uh, perspective, how, how, are, how are you and Vanderbilt evaluating what your long-term needs are going to be? So we're in a unique spot. We're in sort of rapid growth mode, um, just as a response to the population growth in Nashville. It's, mm. it's really been a sought after place um, for many folks to move to for a variety of reasons um, that continues. And so the population growth here has really driven the demand for uh, more hospital beds and, and services throughout um, the metropolitan area. So that's one facet, but you're right. Uh, the baby boomers are uh, retiring at, at rapid pace. Um, and so that's impacting us on two fronts, right? Uh, more patients to care for, um, to get their joints replaced. And, and of course, it's exciting to see the innovations that occur where, you know, we're replacing joints and, and sending folks home on the same day in some situations. So that helps us with hospital capacity. Uh, it creates a unique skill set, I think, for um, anesthesia management to, to meet that goal. But you're right, our, our workforce is retiring as well. I think that, you know, a lot of the attrition that I've seen within my organization in the last year to two um, have been retirements. And, you know, we're talking CRNAs who have 25 to 40 years of experience um, who, you know, really put off their retirement because they enjoy their work so much and, and then finally get to the point and say, yep, it's time. I want to go enjoy myself and and uh, work on my golf game uh, mm. and do those things. But, you know, it's, it's getting us from both ends. Um, it's, it's a joy to, to see their professional fulfillment after all that uh, time serving patients as a CRNA, um, and they're happy to sort of pass the torch um, to the the young and upcoming CRNAs who are are taking it and running with it and, and growing uh, the technology and the knowledge and the innovation in our profession. Well, that's a nice segue uh, because I'm interested. You know, when we talk about you know our, our emerging uh, CRNA workforce, the the folks who you know are, are residents or students who are listening to this now who are thinking about what their first CRNA job is going to be. Uh, and they're thinking about where they want to go, and, and I'm sure they want to make themselves as competitive as possible when they go through that process. When you're when you're interviewing prospective employees, uh, CRNAs, uh, particularly those who maybe this is their first gig as a CRNA, what are you looking for in terms of fit, in terms of personality, in terms of culture, in terms of skill, education? What what really resonates with you? So that's a great question, and uh, I think that it's, it's an important one um, to touch on today. I, more and more um, over the years, and, and I've, I've sort of done the math in my head, uh, I've probably hired over 400, maybe 500 wow. CRNAs. I've always worked at large places, right, where we have a lot, and so there's a lot of recruitment to be done. Um, but more and more, I look for you know team players, and I'm confident that when we are putting out students um, from our uh, programs uh, that they they know what they're doing right they they certainly have basic 
good skills of, of conducting an anesthetic. Um, so they've got all of that. And, you know, that, of course, grows over your first several years of practice and, and then matures over the, the course of the career. But um, I really look for for good team players. And that's what has really built a strong culture in places that I've worked is to find people who are willing to say, you know what, I've, I've got some time in between cases and I see that, you know, my colleague is starting this disaster case. I'm going to go in there and just lend a hand and, you know, whether it be to, to put in some additional vascular access or help with positioning or give blood products. Um, and then that gets returned. And so that really builds um, a team culture where, you know, it's, it's easy in anesthesiology, I think, to uh, feel as though you're on an island, right, in, mm-hmm. in your assigned location. Uh, but sometimes uh, we need uh, the assistance of, of our uh, colleagues. And so having that really... Um, creates an environment where people feel supported by one another um, and feel as though they can grow and, and, and feel safe to ask questions and, and all of those things. So I really look for um, relationship building qualities um, that can stand the test of time. And, you know, we work in a, a zone where there's a fair bit of conflict right here and there um, in, in people that we run into uh, in our in our daily work day. And so being able to manage that is a skill, right? A skill mm-hmm. that we work on over time. But uh, it, being able to manage the difficult surgeon, I think is, is something that is um, so helpful. And, wait, and, wait, 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 slow down here. Are you telling me that you work with surgeons that can be difficult, Brent? You, you, may, is, not is what have, you're you may not have encountered a difficult surgeon, Randy. you telling me? I oh, know okay. in Illinois, yes, it's, it's, okay. it's the land of Lincoln. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just being able to say, how do I manage you know, this, this personality um, so that I can really have the best patient outcomes that are possible and not get involved sort of in the drama of the situation. So, you know, those are the skills I think that, that take people a long way. And I think it helps those who, um, you know, want to start their own practices and, and business, right. Being able to build those relationships is what wins you contracts and, and sustains your contracts. So there's so much to being able to do that. And um, it, maybe that's not the, the, the answer that, People expect, you know, um, but I know that everyone knows how to intubate and start an art line and, and those types of things. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of um, advanced skills and come to the table um, that weren't there, right, when maybe you and I finished. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember learning axillary blocks as, you know, you put the needle through the artery yeah. and you inject on both sides of the artery. And most of the time they don't have a seizure and that's <laughs> a gray block. So, uh-huh. and now, of course, we we would be foolish right to to take that approach when we can use an ultrasound and and see the nerve and place local anesthetic next to the nerve so a lot of the the technology growth um, is i think a desired skill and it's great to see a lot of the nurse anesthesia programs starting to incorporate pocus and and, and other ultrasound guided regional anesthesia into their curricula uh, so truly um, sometimes the the newer crnas are the ones that are are teaching us old dogs some new tricks yeah. It's interesting, Brett, and I got, I'm, I'm glad that you answered the question in that, in that way. And you started with the soft skills and then you ended with the hard clinical skills, right? And because, uh, you know, the, when I say soft skills, you know, the soft stuff is the hard stuff talking about, you know, how do you, how, uh, how do you deal with conflict? You know, what is your level of self-awareness? How do you control your emotions in difficult situations? Those things that are sometimes difficult to assess and certainly difficult to 
uh, to adopt a, a high degree of competency, I think are those differentiator skills, right? I think that the people that I work with uh, or, or worked with when I was a clinician still, those are the ones that, uh, yes, they had a strong clinical skill set, but that's just, an, that's my assumption that you're going to be a good clinician. Uh, and, but how do you handle yourself in difficult situations, you know, demonstrating integrity and emotional intelligence and those other things. That think, is, that is the, for me, that, that's, I think, the, the, the most important kind of skills. And I think that, you know, to a leader or, or chief, CRNA or, or what have you, when you see that in someone, you, you know, it becomes very magnetic because you think, you know what, they are going to um, do great clinical work and right, the wake that they leave is going to be such a positive one that I'm not going to have to go back and clean up after, you know, some missed relationship issues that occur. So uh, yes, I, I totally think that's true. Um, and we're seeing that. I think that, you know, we can, can read all the self-help books you want, right. About emotional intelligence and, and, and the like. Um, but it's, it's things that you practice and you experience and you think, well, I guess I could have handled that better. And we do get better over time um, as long as you want to. So yeah. Most of us do. Some of us continue to make the same mistakes over and over again <laughs> and, and be surprised <laughs> every time there is a, uh, there's damage done, but you're right. But it's fun to watch um, people grow in that and, yeah. um, and really grow into uh, leaders um, themselves. Well, let's talk about that. So you're, you're an executive level leader. you, uh, you um, identify, develop uh, leaders, you, you lead leaders. When, when you think about everyday leadership, the folks that, that work with you, uh, whether they're CRNAs or, or leaders in other, uh, other roles within the organization, what are you seeing consistently as, as, as key skills or differentiators? I think key skills um, in leadership today are you know, the ability to really stop and listen and, and take things in uh, before giving feedback. And, you know, everybody, that, that's so important. I find, you know, the time I spend listening more valuable than decision-making time in most cases. I mean, yesterday I was um, in the operating room and, and I was assigned to give breaks. And, you know, it's honestly, it's not my favorite assignment. I would rather be like in a room full of cases, but um, it was, it was great because, you know, I'm out and about and, and in, you know, however many different rooms and running into people. And it's, it's time for me to like, listen and understand, you know, what's going on, what are they feeling? So I think, you know, developing the listening skill um, is so important. And then figuring out, you know, what do I do with the information I have? And, and so we find, right, um, CRNAs being promoted into really high profile leadership positions. I've been able to uh, be fortunate enough to talk to several people just in the last couple months who have found themselves in newly created positions of sort of an enterprise-wide um, chief CRNA, if you will. And uh, that that's, it's very exciting. You know, I love to see that um, health systems are realizing the value um, of CRNA leadership and, and we're seeing more robust and mature advanced practice leadership in all hospitals um, that includes CRNAs. But to, to see how they are you know, taking, you know, what has now become rapidly a multi-hospital system and, you know, building a culture and, and moving the needle, right, if you will, mm -hmm. forward. And it's not easy, right? It's not easy because often these were hospitals with 
very different identities. And now all of a sudden they fall under the same umbrella. But over the course of time, I think that most of the CRNAs in, in those situations realize that, you know, we are better off as um, a larger team, right, that are sort of all uh, pointed in the same direction than we were as individual teams. And so it's, it's just great to watch leaders um, in those areas sort of build those roles and, and sort of um, and write their tickets as they move forward. It seems to be, and I've been out of hospital leadership for a few years, there, there seems to be a, a, a momentum or a direction where they're, you know, they're identifying advanced practice provider leaders and positioning them in a way that they haven't even just a few years ago, you know, especially at the health, progressive health systems, where they're saying, okay, we, we've decided that advanced practice providers, you know, nurse anesthetists, nurse practitioners, PAs, et cetera, are an integral part to our clinical and business objectives, and we need to organize in, around that and create leadership. Are, are you seeing that too? And if so, what, what do you think is driving that? And, and what, where, do you, where do you think that's going to go? I, I'm definitely seeing it. And, you know, more and more every day, um, you know, the advisory board last year or so, you know, put out sort of their roadmap roadmap to success with advanced practice. And, you know, it, it started with, you know, let them do the stuff they were they were trained to do, number one, right? And, and that's your best return on investment, um, all the way up to governance structure, right? And, mm-hmm. and having them really engaged uh, in um, their own self-governance with the, as, a, as a team uh, and also within the hospital. And so we're seeing that trend now be picked up, right, uh, by places like the advisory board and, and published to hospital executives who then realize, yeah, this is, uh, this is an area that really, you know, we can leverage in a way that makes a lot of sense to our own growth um, and financial objectives. And, and so having that uh, really creates uh, a different environment. And so having, you know, a growth trajectory, I think, for, for advanced practice providers where they can, you know, engage in upward movement, you know, sort of a clinical ladder, uh, uh, we're seeing those being developed is useful because before that it was like, yep, you're an advanced practice provider. We hire you to be an advanced practice provider and um, that's where you are. But now we're seeing, you know, some get faculty appointments and some do, you know, some significant precepting work and and professional development activities. So new, I think, horizons are opening in that area. Um, And I think that the the value of that is becoming very, very apparent um, to hospital leaders. Yeah. I'll say also within the profession, I don't have any data to support this. This is all anecdotal. I, I, I'm having more and more conversations with student or resident uh, anesthetists and, and new, new grad or early career who are, who are asking questions like, well, how, you know, I'm interested in maybe being a chief CRNA, or maybe I want to run a hospital, or maybe I want to be a VP of perioperative services, or maybe I want to start my own company, or maybe I want to be an executive within a large anesthesia, man, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm getting a lot of those kinds of questions. What's your advice for someone who, who's been through that who's been through that journey, right? You you've been a chief CRNA at two large prestigious facilities. You've had a significant amount of success. You're well respected within the profession. For someone who's just trying to who's just starting out, thinking about, yeah, I think I want to go on the direct trajectory that Dr. Dunworth has gone. What what advice do you have? I think the first thing would be is um, get a mentor. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are plenty of, of people out there who have had tremendous success in, in the leadership and business world. And so, you know, finding them and connecting with them is, is not terribly hard to do, especially in today's world. Uh, you can do it via LinkedIn or 
you know, uh, through networking, you know, at our, our national meeting, for example, uh, but find them and, and have someone you can talk to. And that's always been um, helpful for me. And I've had different mentors at different times and, and some of them are episodic, but I think that's sort of key. And then, you know, that way uh, that person can open doors for you and really help to direct your career and, and give you advice on, you know, which way to go. And so, for example, if you want to be a hospital president one day, then that would take a different path uh, if, than if you wanted to, you know, start your own anesthesia corporation. And so they would be slightly different, you know, with, with certainly some skill overlap in, in the business area. But I think, you know, developing that relationship, you know, asking, you know, how can I get in, involved in more um, always goes a long way. We, you know, as we onboard new CRNAs here and, and we onboard quite a few uh, in our current growth mode, we say, listen, is your ticket to write please tell us what interests you and we will get you, you know, pointed in that direction. And so it might be education that interests you. Great. You know, we have a lot of students that rotate here. How can we involve you more in teaching those students and coordinating the rotation experience and making it better? If you're interested in, you know, an academic output, then how can we help to position you to have a poster um, at the AANA meeting, right? Or, or position you to get a publication in a journal. Um, and we have, you know, those resources here and we just need to line them up and it might be leadership, you know? And so we say, all right, we're, we've got no shortage of, of projects and committees going on and I don't need to sit on all of them. So I would be happy to delegate some of that work. And so that's where people sort of find their own and, and find their way. Uh, I'm really excited, you know, as we complete our transition to doctoral curricula across the country that we are providing, you know, leadership, skill set that we weren't able to do before, right? In, in the master's program, there just, there wasn't enough time for that. We really had to focus on, you know, the science and art of anesthesia. And now we can do some of these um, development skills, which I think help uh, our upcoming leaders tremendously. And they're starting at a position much further along than, than I did, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of being self-taught and, and finding my way um, through mentors. I do, you know, I would like to just underscore the importance of relationships. Uh, and this is something that maybe I didn't value. It took me a while to come around to this, I think, a little bit, in that a lot of the, the great opportunities that are presented, potentially, that will be presented, will be based off a relationship that you've cultivated, right? And, and that happens a lot more often than, let's say, just a cold call uh, or you apply for a, a leadership position without really having any... Uh, relationships within the organization. Typically, my experience has been both in clinical leadership and, and now in this role, is it is at the end of the day, it's it's about relationships. It is. And, and, and it can be encounters that to you seem so simple, mm -hmm. but that's when someone really notices what you've done or, or how you've gone the extra mile. Um, and you think, well, that's that's just what I do. But it, it, it doesn't have to be big. It, it can be really small examples. You know, I've I was always impressed with, you know, the first hospital VP that I got to work with. Uh, we're walking down the hall talking and there's a piece of trash in the hallway and, you know, he didn't miss a beat. He's going to pick that up and throw it away because, you know, he, he it was his facility and it was our facility and he wanted it to look good. And I, I didn't say anything at the time, but I thought, you know, that said a lot. And to me, I'm like, I'm going to pick up the trash because <laughs> it's A, the right thing to do uh, when you have pride in, in your 
where you work um, and people notice that. So yeah, it doesn't have to be huge. I think it could be little and people notice um, all kinds of things. That's again, another point that I'd like to underscore as leaders, it's important to understand whether you know it or not, or whether you like it or not, you are always being watched. And uh, the people that work uh, who report up to you uh, will in all likelihood, they will, they will do what you do. They will, they will begin to, adopt your values, adopt your, even the way that you uh, deal with other people. And that's why it's so important to consistently show up in a way that, that in which there's a high degree of integrity, uh, because if not your team, your team will begin to adopt your, your behaviors and, and your perspective. I've seen it time and time again, good and bad. Yeah, so I think absolutely. that's a great example. I mean, the, the answer is, you know, take the high road um, whenever you can. And it's not always the easiest road to travel in certain situations. Mm-hmm. It's, often a lot easier to take the low road and lose your cool. But you're right, as a leader, people notice that. And, you know, that sets the example for, well, that's acceptable behavior because my leader does it. And then the culture starts to get eroded. So, you know, I I find myself, uh, and perhaps you do as well, Randy, just, you know, biting my tongue a lot in certain circumstances and saying it's not worth, you know, the political capital that I'll expend in this situation by, you know, losing my cool. I'm, I'm going to keep my cool and I'm always grateful I did it, even though there is an instant gratification, I think sometimes from losing your temper, but mm. I save that for my kids. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <just kidding. laughs> oh no, the, trust me. I I've, I've had the amygdala hijack uh, that uh, a lot of people <laughs> experience and, and 100% of the time I, I, I regret it. Uh, it. It feels good in the moment to hit the send on that email uh, that I, that I, you know, that I typed that I regret within about 30 minutes or that comment in a meeting it uh, feels good in the moment, but 100% of the time. Yeah, and I mean, I you know, we all do it, and and I I think I do it less, less and less each year. But yeah, it's um it's still easily to it's still easy to sort of uh, emotionally react um, to situations, and sometimes people will intentionally um, test you and put you in that situation, right, to see how you'll react. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really key to be able to recognize that as well. So, you know, we're all on a, on a journey, I think, to professionalism. Um, and it, it is a journey. Yeah. I'm curious, Brent, tell me something that you've changed your mind about in the last year or so. Well, it's, it's been quite a year. Uh-huh. Um, really, I think for all of us, one of the most challenging um, that we've ever experienced for a variety of reasons, right? It, it might be that, you know, some folks were furloughed, you know, because of COVID or, you know, some people contracted COVID or, you know, the way that we care for patients in the midst of a pandemic um, change, you know, all of those, there's just so much stress um, going on. So, you know, but what I, what I think I changed my mind on is that, you know, the, I always, you know, people say, oh, the best offense is a good defense. And um, I think that's true. Uh, But I think that, I've changed my mind a little bit and say, you know what, we, we need to have an offense as well. And it, it can't be a passive offense. And so, you know, sort of staying, um, trying to stay ahead of what's coming is, is really key and trying to, you know, look at, at something that, you know, what is, what is the next four steps going to be? And, and where do I need to position myself as a person, as a provider, as a professional, as a group of professionals, you know, where do we need to be? to meet that need um, because nobody likes to be reactive all the time. I think that we like to s- see the trends and, and, and jump out there. So um, I think I've done more of that. And, and that has, um, you know, the pandemic has, has 
flavored that a little bit, I guess I would say. But uh, I think, yeah, there's there's so much happening. It's it is an exciting time to be a CRNA. Um, it always has been. You know, it's it's great to work amongst professionals who really love what they do, right? And and we love what, what we do because it's a puzzle every day, and no day is the same. Um, and we get better and better and better at it, but it's, we just can never quite perfect because things change and patients change and technology changes. But, um, you know, the the world is changing around us and, and the healthcare delivery in the United States is is changing. And, and no surprise, we, we've been expecting this for a long time, um, but it's finally really happening. And I, I think we are, as a profession, positioning ourselves well to, to serve patients and, and, and serve the country um, and really carry on, you know, the great history that we have. Well, that's a wonderful way to end our conversation today. So I, I'm not going to ruin ruin it by trying to ask another question or put my own opinion in there. So I think you did a great job encapsulating what's happening. So thank you so much, Brent, you for, for your time. Thank Absolutely. you for joining us. Thanks again for joining us, Brent. That was a lot of fun. And thank you to our listeners uh, for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, please tell your friends, tell your colleagues to check out Moving the Needle podcast. Until the next time, please take care of yourselves.